Well, once again, it's great to be with you in God's house as we continue this journey together. If you're again visiting, this is a time where we've been walking through the book of James for several weeks now. We're, uh, we're getting towards the end of chapter one. Didn't know there was that much meat on the bone, but this will be the final week in chapter one as we're going to be looking today at verses 26 through 27. And we're going to be talking about a word today that has gotten a bit of a bad rap. It's almost become an ugly word, and that word is religion. In fact, I'm going to be honest with you. When somebody, I remember before I became a minister, when I was living on Hiawatha Road with a bunch of my roommates from Pineland Telephone, I remember um, one of my roommates introduced me and said, this is Bo, he's very religious. <laughs> that, that did not feel good to me. It, it did not feel like a compliment. I knew what he was trying to say, but I think we, we have an idea in our mind of what religion is. In fact, there's this common phrase that we say now as Christians, it's not about religion, it's about relationship. And there's a lot of truth to that. But we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. As much as I hear people say, I don't like organized religion. Well, guess what? We are organized in God's house and we are practicing religion. We can't ignore the word. But it does have to be more than ritual. It does have to be more than motions. It is a person that we're pursuing. It's not rules that we're pursuing. It's a person. And that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. We're pursuing a relationship where we are truly worshiping him. And in doing so, through the Holy Spirit, we're becoming more like him with every breath that we take. Amen? Amen. That's true religion. That's true religion. So why is it that I think every, every uh, day in America that we talk about religion in such a negative way? Well, I think there's two ma- major reasons why. The first is I think that we think of religion as man's effort reaching up to God when we know the Christian gospel is God's effort reaching out to man. That's what makes Christianity different than every other so-called religion of the world because all the other religions are these man-made efforts to reach up to God and to be good enough for God. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is that we're not good enough. That God, in an effort of grace, does for us what we could not do for ourselves. And through Christ, he reaches out to us. That's one reason why religion has such a negative context The second is, I think when you think of religion, you think of cold, meaningless, ritualistic services. And we've been in those services, have we? Not all of us have. If if we're being honest, there's days where all of us have struggled uh, to be genuine and sincere and, and intimate with the Holy Spirit. Yet... It's still not a reason to throw uh, religion under the bus altogether because it's an important word that the Bible talks about. There's a gentleman, uh, if anybody's been on YouTube, okay, there's a gentleman by the name of uh, Jefferson Bethke. Jefferson Bethke made this uh, YouTube video a couple years ago and he made himself a lot of money doing it too. The video was called Why I Hate Religion But Love Jesus. It came out when I was actually the youth pastor here and... um, I remember several of our youth posting that on my Facebook page and and asking me about it. It's a great video. Uh, But I will say this, that when he says he hates religion but loves Jesus, the type of religion that he's attacking in that video is what I would call false religion. And what we're going to learn today as we open up the text here at the end of James chapter 1, we're going to see what God considers true religion. All right, religion is not necessarily an ugly word if we understand religion the way that God defines religion. So that's really what I want to do today because I don't think Jesus came to abolish religion. I think Jesus came to redefine it, not as rules, but as a relationship with a living person, mainly him. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me 
to the book of James. Again, we'll be in chapter 1. And as we open up the book of James, here's the big idea. Here's what I want us to get, okay? In the eyes of God, truly religious people have both an inward and outward commitment to worshiping Him. They have both an inward and outward commitment to worshiping Him. So please stand at this time if you have a Bible. And if you don't, it'll be in your pew Bibles and page 1199. Okay, we're in James chapter 1, verses 26 through 27. Hear the word of the Lord, starting in verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, his re- person's, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we do love you so very much. Father, we don't want to be religious people. We want to be God-fearing Christians who love you and pursue a relationship with you through your Son. Father, help us to understand the difference. Help us to see this distinction you make in the Scriptures about what's true religion and what's not. And help us to be those who practice nothing but true religion as we follow you through the power of your spirit and the blood of your son. It's in his name we pray. God's people said, amen. Amen. So, only two verses at the end of the chapter here. And yet so much importance as we talk about this idea of religion. Uh, In fact, as I was looking at the notes there, I realized I skipped over that, that first question. For those of you that follow in the listening guides. And the question is, do you consider yourself religious? Okay? Has anybody ever said to you, would you describe yourself as a religious person? Again, I said when someone refers to me as religious, it seems almost negative. You know, it seems almost ritualistic. It seems cold. It seems like I don't understand the truth of the gospel and I'm trying to be someone better than I'm not. But again, let's not throw that word out. Let's allow the scriptures to redefine it. And so what I want to do in the next few minutes as we look through the scriptures is give you three things that the Bible teaches us in this passage about what truly religious people do according to God. The first of those three that I'd like to share with you is this. Number one, the truly religious will tame their tongues. Will tame their tongues. Verse 26 says this. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Now, we're going we're gonna to dive deeper into this as we get further into James, because there's a whole section that talks about this, and, um, and we're, we're going to dive into that when time permits. But I'm going to give you a little snapshot, a little taste test in this passage about what God thinks about an unbridled tongue, a tongue that cannot be tamed, because it's a dangerous thing. When we are someone that cannot control our tongues and we believe and confess one thing, but then spend the rest of the week speaking and acting contrary to what it is that we believe, it says in this passage, our hearts are deceived. Our hearts are deceived. The tongue will always reveal the heart. It is the dipstick to the soul. Okay, for those that like to check the dipstick for oil changes. Your tongue will tell you where, how dirty your soul really is and how bad it needs to get cleansed. In fact, if you want to use that illustration in your mind, think about how it is that every worship service, we have a time of confession during that silence because just like changing the oil, we've got to clean it out. 
It's gotten dirty. It's gotten corroded. And that's what happens when we don't keep short accounts with God. Because we, even though we're forgiven, if we're believers in Jesus Christ, even though we're born again and we've got the powerful Holy Spirit indwelling us and changing us, we're still fallen. We're still sinful. We still struggle. The other illustration I always give for that is the back of the shampoo bottle. Lather, rinse, repeat. Lather, rinse, repeat. If someone says to me, why should I keep confessing my sin? I would ask you, why do you keep washing your hair? Because it gets dirty. We've got to continue to confess our sins. And what happens when we don't, when we say that we're Christian, but we don't do what Christians do, and we speak things contrary to what it is that this Bible teaches, and we can't control our tongues, we have false religion. We're in here playing games. And the rest of the week, we are act- the rest of the week our mouth is showing the truth of our heart. Whereas we come into the worship service here this morning and we want to show with our hearts that we truly love and follow the Lord Jesus. But when we can't tame our tongues, our hearts are exposed and we are deceived. Truly religious people know how to tame their tongues. Again, I'm going to spend an entire message on this in a few weeks. But let me just say this. Your tongue is the single most important thing that you could possibly try to control. It's, it, there's, there's nothing harder to control in your life than your tongue. Nothing. I find every single day challenges with my tongue. Things that I want to say that I don't. Things that I don't want to say that I do. You know, gossip is something we're going to talk a lot about in a few weeks. I think that is what we, in the church, they've started calling the respectable sin. It's a sin that we all commit, so we just kind of don't talk about it a whole lot. But tongues have destroyed lives. Tongues have ripped churches completely down the middle. Tongues have ripped marriages and families down the middle. And when we are so-called religious, when we're so-called faithful believers in Jesus Christ, one of the true examples, if if we're false in our religion, is that we won't be able to control what we say. You know, I have learned that brevity is the soul of wit, as the old quote says. And uh, I love to talk, so I sometimes have to take take my own advice and, and pipe down a little bit. I... If there's one, uh, I was joking around about this with some of the men on Thursday, if there's one weakness I've had since I've been the uh, pastor here is my counseling sessions and my visitations go a lot longer than they probably should because I just love to talk and I love to listen and I love to be with people. But I know this, especially as a pastor, people are listening and they're listening to every word that comes out of my mouth and they're saying, is he able to control himself? Is he saying anything contrary to what represents the Lord Jesus Christ? And let me say this, if they know you're a member of this church, they're watching you too. They're listening to you too. Have you ever been with someone? I mean, just stop for a minute. Have you ever been with somebody who you thought was a truly devout believer in Jesus Christ and they got really comfortable with you one day and they just got into a gossip session for 10 minutes or maybe they got into a vulgarity session and and four-letter words just came out of their mouth and it disappointed you? You thought to yourself, there's nothing Christ-honoring about what came out of that person's mouth. Well, you know what? I don't know a person in this room who hasn't been guilty of that at some point in their walk with the Lord. Um, you know, the, and she's in the nursery right now, but my wife would admit this, that the sharp edge of sanctification is marriage. Marriage will show you where you're still weak. Marriage will show you where the sin has kind of fallen to the bottom of the pond, and the marriage once in a while will kick that scum up to the top and show you there's still a lot of sin in your heart. And there's times where I'm with Ashley, and I'll say things to her, and I'll walk in the other room and say, where did that come from? Man, it scares me to think about the sin that still resides in my heart. And so what does it do? It keeps you humble. 
And it keeps you on your knees and say, God, control my tongue. Don't let anything out of my mouth that is not meant to become, that is not meant to come out of my mouth. Only what will praise and honor you and build up your kingdom and those in your kingdom. I think about this every single day. Uh, when, when any of you in this room have come to visit me in the office, and it, it, it really, I look forward to those times, I do. I really enjoy, it's an aspect of ministry that maybe some pastors don't enjoy, but I love it. I love visiting with people. But I'm going to tell you this right now. If you, when you get out of your cars and start walking up the steps to my office, I pray the same prayer every time. And if you look in the window, you may see my lips moving. I pray, God, give me words of wisdom and words of grace. And I'll say it over and over until I get to the door. Give me words of wisdom. Give me words of grace. Words of wisdom. Words of grace. Because I don't want my tongue to push people further away from Jesus instead of bringing them closer to Jesus. That's true religion. The truly religious will tame their tongues. I heard a, I heard a great quote, uh, and Ronnie Sykes stole it from somebody else, but I'm going to steal it from Ronnie. heard it on the radio the other day. You know, when we are deceived, that deception in our hearts, when our tongues say things that we shouldn't say, the quote that he shared with me is this, we know we have recreated God in our own image when God is angry with the same people we are. Think about that for just a minute. When you can't control your tongue to such a degree that you're constantly spouting out to somebody else about how angry you are with someone and you honestly think God is as angry with them as you are, you have a problem with taming your tongue and you've deceived your heart to believe something that's not true. Not to say that God doesn't get angry with us, but we're made in his image. He is graceful beyond our understanding. I love that quote, by the way, Brother Ronnie. I'm going to use it again sometime. Adrian Rogers said that uh, I milk a lot of cows, but I churn my own butter. So I, I, uh, I won't milk that cow as much as I can. That's great. So let me ask this before we move on to point number two. Here's a test for you. Does what you say match what you believe? You come in here on Sunday and you're professing what you believe during the worship service. And then you leave the doors of the church. And then Sunday night through the rest of the week, your actions and your words are representing what it is that you truly believe. All right, I've had some folks come into my office this week. And what I was telling them was they were really frustrated over some things that are happening in their life. And I said to the people who are frustrating them, people always tell the truth on themselves in time. Somebody can deceive you for a day. They can deceive you for a season. But people will always tell the truth on themselves because, again, the tongue is the dipstick to the soul. And so the question is, is what you say back up what you believe? And is what you're saying all week long backing up what you're believing on Sunday morning? Because the truly religious, they'll know how to tame their tongues. That moves us on to number two. Number two, the truly religious will help the helpless. All right, I know this sounds obvious, but let's take it a step deeper, okay? The first part of verse 27 says this. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. If there's anything that I can see over and over and over as I open up the Scriptures, specifically the New Testament, I see that God is most concerned with the least of these. God is most concerned with helping those who cannot help themselves. And you know what? When we're committed to helping those type of people, we're bought in for Jesus because there's no, there's no glory, personal glory, in helping orphans and helping widows. There's no one standing at the sidelines applauding you 
for that type of ministry. Those are, those are things that are done behind closed doors that nobody ever sees but you, God, and the person you're helping. But that's true religion. I'm so grateful for the leadership of our church. Uh, I'm grateful for our brotherhood and for our deacons who've been committed to some of the older members. Our deacons uh, go on a rotation every quarter of making sure that our, our seniors have their needs met. Uh, I'm grateful for the lovely ladies' banquet, a time that we can love on um, our seniors and, and thank them for the, for the ministry that they've done in this church. And let me say this too. If you are in this room right now and you're a widow and you have needs that, are, that need to be met, let, lean on the church. Let us know what those needs are. One of the things that I have a, a strong burden for as a pastor is to think that there's a significant need in the church that a widow has, and I'm not aware of it, and I can't help gather the brothers together and meet that need. So if there is a need, and we can help in some way, you come and tell me at the end of this service or sometime this week, and we'll get our brothers together, and we'll make sure those needs are met, because that's true religion. That's what God cares about. That's what God cares about. That is true ministry. Helping those who cannot help themselves. You know, I, I thought about this as I did a bunch of research, and of course, there's, there's passages in the New Testament that point to this, but think about this for a minute. If, if churches, since the inception of the church 2,000 years ago, as we see in the book of Acts when the church came into being after Pentecost, if the church was committed to doing what churches are called to do in Scripture, there are tons of federal programs that would have no need to exist. Social Security wouldn't have a need for it. American Red Cross wouldn't have a need for it. If every church in God's kingdom was doing everything that they were called to do, those federal programs would not be necessary. They wouldn't. If you look in the scriptures, uh, Paul in the New Testament talks about there's a certain time and a certain age and a certain requirement to put widows on the church payroll. All right, Because at that time, the church was all they had. There was no, there was no Medicaid or Medicare. There was no uh, Social Security. There was no annuities. They didn't invest in the Dow Jones. They didn't have 401ks or Roth IRAs. They had the church and that was it. Now we live in the most affluent country in the world and we live in 2017 and I'm not saying ignore your social security, trust me. And I am saying now that we have built a structure in such a way, Cedar Street can't do everything for everybody. Okay, so let me make that abundantly clear before I get a call on Monday morning with somebody sending me an invoice. (laughs) But let me say this. I think we're called to do more than we're probably doing. We are. We're called to help the helpless. I am grateful for our benevolent committee. I think that there's been quite a few needs this year that have been met, and I'm grateful for their generosity, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to serve and, uh, and the leadership there. You know, I, you know there's, there's been talks and prayers over the years about possibly having a food pantry or a soup kitchen here someday. I hope that uh, you know, we, we get to the point as a church where we can make that step. I think uh, we're not quite there yet, but we're getting there. But even, even, even so... Thinking about how it is that on a, at least a weekly, if not monthly basis, that we're thinking about ways that we can help the helpless. There are people that don't know Jesus Christ from a hole in the wall that are a lot better at this particular area than we are. That burdens my heart. I remember one time, I'll say this before I move on to our third point. I remember one time uh, on Thanksgiving, this was back in, I think, 2008, I went to a uh, soup kitchen. I think they were holding it at Statesboro High School. And I was working with a bunch of folks there. And a gentleman who was just an industrious worker, great work ethic. I mean, he was feeding people with joy in his heart. And, he's, and, and, and he, I mean, he was just unbelievable the type of, you know, just 
unction he had in getting all that work done. And I looked at him and I thought, that has to be a Christian. It has to be a Christian. Only a Christian could have that much joy to serve other people. And I got to talking with him and I found out he wasn't a Christian. And he said to me, he, he said to me, you know, this is just what you're supposed to do. The joy you have in helping other people. And, and, and I thought part of it made me really disappointed that he didn't understand the Lord Jesus Christ. And then another part made me angry. Why is it that we have the Holy Spirit, that we, that we do things for the glory of God, not just for selfish joy, but the joy of the Spirit of God in us, that we're reflecting the kingdom of God and we're giving God this glory and we're showing them Jesus. We have more, we have more at stake than they do. And yet they're so much better than us. And helping the helpless, myself included, myself included. We should, you know, Christians should be out in front showing the rest of the world how it's done. And I, I just, it catches me off guard sometimes when I see non-believers who are more passionate about helping the helpless than we are. Now, I will say this in our defense as Christians, there are people who spend wake, uh, uh, every hour of the day helping others because they're trying to soothe a burden in their heart that they know they're not right with God. All right? and, and thankfully, as Christians, we don't have that particular burden if we've been born again. We know that we're right with God because of the shed blood of Jesus. And so when we help the helpless, we're not trying to make up for lost time. We're not trying to do good and, and get our foot into heaven by good works. We know we're saved by grace through faith. But we do it out of gratitude for what God has done for us. And we do it to bring glory to his kingdom. The truly religious will help the helpless. We are most like Jesus when we're helping the helpless. If we're supposed to reflect the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to think about how helpless we are in the way that God has helped us through His Son. All right, we've talked a lot about widows, but what about orphans? Do you know that you're an orphan before you become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? Maybe not physically, but spiritually. You're adopted into the family of God. Before you are born again, you are not a child of God. You're a creation of God. All right? And that's heavy for some people. I've seen people get red in the face with me and say, we're all God's children. No, we're not. The Bible says that we're given the right to be called children of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, we're all creation of God, and I believe God has a love for all of his creation, so I believe he's got a special love for all children. But there's something different about those who've been covered in the shed blood of Christ and received the Holy Spirit and have been adopted into the family of God. And before you were saved, you were orphaned. You were not part of that family. You were welcomed in by grace through faith. And so we've got nothing to bring to the table. We can't brag. We didn't do anything special. We were in the orphanage just like everybody else. And God removed the heart of stone. He replaced it with the heart of flesh. We responded in repentance and faith. And we were welcomed into the family. So when we know we're we're that helpless, we have to feel the same for others in the physical world who were that helpless. I don't know what God has in store for my future. I know Ashley and I have talked a lot about physical adoption because I can't help but read the scriptures and not think, wow, what a beautiful thing adoption is. It's beautiful. Every time I see an adoption, it's a reflection of the gospel. It's just a beautiful portrait of God adopting us into his family as we adopt others into ours. So before we move on to number three, I'll just ask you a question of application for your heart. Are you aware of those around you who are helpless and need your help? Are you aware of it? Because I guarantee you they're there. I guarantee you they're there. 
I, I, I remember, um, and I haven't talked with him in several months about this, but uh, actually even years ago now, I asked uh, Mayor Billy Trapnell, I said, if, uh, if there's any benevolent work in the community that we can do, let me know. And he said to me, come back to my office. I got a list longer than you think. And that's been a couple years ago. I'm sure that list hasn't completely gone away. We're called to be on mission. And I think that mission is locally. And then I think it's nationally. And then I think it's internationally. And, and I said when I was hired here as pastor, my goal is for us to be on mission in those three realms. But we got to start local. And it, it blessed my heart when I heard Brian Reeves say that he wanted to be on mission for the Lord. And trust me when I say this, if that's his desire, we're going to get him to go to work pretty quick. But I ask that you lock arms with us and we do this together. So again, number two, they're truly religious will help the helpless. Now let's move on to the third and final point and then stop and think about the importance of this for just a minute because I think we skip over this third one a lot. Number three, the truly religious will protect their purity. Listen to the second part of verse 27. Okay, the first part we just read is religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Now here's the second part. And to keep oneself unstained from the world. What does that mean? Well, this passage that I've read in Scripture before, I'm sure you've read it. it, The first time I heard it when I was a believer, I didn't quite understand it. And I've come to understand it a little bit better, but I'm still learning the, the phrase is to be in the world, but not of the world. I'm sure all of you have heard that at some point if you've become a believer. All right, we are supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. Well, what does that mean? That means that we're supposed to understand our role while we're here on this side of heaven and to fulfill that role as best we can, but not to fall in love with this world in such a way that we're pursuing the things of the world instead of the things of God. We've got to protect ourselves from being defiled, from, being, from having our purity completely tarnished. And, and, it's, and, God, and God knows the devil wants to get into our lives and tarnish our reputation and tarnish our testimony and stain us permanently. It blesses my heart more than you know when you come to me and say, Bo, I'm praying for you because I need every prayer I can get. Because, you know, the first place a, a, the devil will go to take down a church is the pastor. The, you know, I, I read all the time, uh, I've read it maybe seven or eight times in the past year, these mega church pastors and these, these celebrity pastors who are so eloquent in their speech and they're fantastic best-selling writers and they've got these thriving ministries and then all of a sudden, front page news. They've had a two-year affair with a woman in the church. You know, front page news. They've, they've been plotting this affair forever, and, 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 and they, they've been preaching and teaching God's word every single week. Now, most of you would say, that's hypocrisy. He should not be preaching God's word, to which I would say, you're exactly right. He should not be near the pulpit. But there's no Christian who should engage in that type of life and think that God is somehow going to bless it. And why do people live in that type of lifestyle where they're, they're not being faithful to their spouses or they're, they're lying at their jobs or they're falling into this unrepentant sin in some area? It's because they refuse to protect themselves. They put themselves in position where they're being defiled. Their purity is being compromised because they did not protect themselves from the stains of this world. I've said this before. I'll say it again. God does not want you to be so strong that you overcome temptation. He wants you to avoid it altogether. All right? You know, when I was a youth pastor, and and I remember being at the seminary and talking to other youth pastors, and every teenager always asked this question. How far can I go without crossing the line? 
You know, if I'm, if I'm in a relationship, is it okay to kiss my boyfriend or my girlfriend? How far can I go? How far to the edge of darkness can I get before I go from light to darkness? I would say, why do you want to get so close to that line? Protect yourself. All things that God wants you to enjoy, he will give them to you in time, in his way. But if we don't protect ourselves, we'll get too close to the line and then we get to the point of no return and everybody in this room has experienced that in some area. I'm not saying just sexually. It can be, it can be financially. It can be vocationally. It could be in a relationship. It could be in a, you know, you've gone too far and then said and did, did something you said you would never do. And the reason why you did it is because you didn't protect yourself and you got in over your head. All right? For those who struggle with alcohol... You get frustrated because all your friends are having parties and, and maybe they, you know, in, in a social setting, they have a couple drinks here or there, but you struggle with it. You can't even go to that party because you know one drop will change everything. So don't go. And don't worry about what people think. Protect yourself. All right? For some of you, you don't struggle in that area, but you struggle in another area. If you're in a situation in your life where you're most tempted to sin, it says in this passage... Keep oneself unstained from the world. Stay away from temptations that would lead you to go down a road you don't want to go. I'll say this as we start to wrap it up here. I'm not one to get into politics. It's not my field. It's not my desire. But I want to make mention of something that happened a few weeks ago. Our vice president, Mike Pence, took a hit because he made a statement that he would not be alone with another woman. And the media raked him over the coals for that. And they said that it's because they were treating women like objects. To which my reply is, nobody ever stood up and said, no, he's honoring his wife. He's treating his woman, his wife, his bride as the greatest treasure of his life. Now, I don't know Mike Pence. I, don't, I can't say whether he's a good politician, bad politician. All I can say is this. I was really impressed by that vow that he made publicly. You don't hear a whole lot of that coming out of Washington, D.C. lately. Okay? He stood up and said, I will not have dinner with another woman apart from my wife. And the country did not understand that. But you know what I see when I hear that? Someone who's willing to keep themselves unstained from the world. That's what's called the Billy Graham commitment. Before Billy Graham, there was no public figure who would take that stand. And Billy Graham got together with his men. All right? He was the president of Wheaton College. He was um, on crusades youth crusades for the lord christ and this was before he became the billy graham that we know today the great evangelist who's known as america's pastor and when it all started billy graham said this billy graham said he got his men together and he said we don't give god we don't give the devil an opportunity to get his foot in the door and they made that commitment none of the men were to be alone with any other woman except their wife all right and he made that commitment and to what i best understand he kept that commitment now he's pushing close to 100 years old he didn't give the world a chance to stain his testimony, to which I would say to all of us in this room, care about your testimony. It's not that you worry about what people think, but it is that you care that people see Christ in you, that you're professing Christ, and you want your testimony to match up what it is that you believe. And how do you do that? We keep ourselves unstained from the world. Don't think you're strong enough to flirt with temptation and overcome it. The devil knows, and he'll get you. It's like the undertow at the beach. I can go a little further. 
Well, 10 people are a little further than me. I can go out a little deeper, a little deeper, a little deeper. My dad, if he was here standing today, um, he's in Philadelphia right now, but if he was here today, he'd tell you the story about how he had to have a lifeguard come get him out. He's just close to dying because he, he just went out a little bit too far and he said, Bo, I never realized how strong the undertow was until it was too late. It's the same way with sin in our lives. And James is reminding us, if you are truly religious, if you are pursuing a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, you have no desire to flirt with the temptations of the world. You will keep yourself unstained by just staying away from it and following Jesus. So that leads us to our conclusion as we, as we sum all this up. Okay? If I were to sum all this up, here's what I would say. Only through Jesus Christ can we be truly religious and have a true relationship with God. All right, again, I want to say that religion is about a relationship, okay? I don't want to say it's not religion, it's relationship. I'm going to say it's both, religion and relationship. Our religion is a relationship. We're pursuing the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what? Can I say something? With religion and with relationship, there does come rules. And you know this if you've been married because you took vows when you got married, did you not? I stood right here, November 24th. 2012, married my bride, and I engaged in a set of vows. I said, this is what I will do, this is what I won't do, in good times and in bad, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. And then we had personal vows that we read. Now, does that mean that our relationship is built on rules? No. It means our relationship is protected by rules. All right, those who, who reject religion because they say, I, I don't want any rules in my life. That's not reality. Rules are put in place to give us freedom, not to constrict us, to give us protection. When I took those vows, and Ashley took those vows, we've grown in almost four and a half years now of, commi- of com- committing to one another in such a way we've built a level of safety and comfort and security that she knows I'm committed to her and I know she's committed to me. And I would say in the, in the Christian realm, it's the same way. We're not saved by rules. We're not saved by works. We're saved by grace through faith. But if you are saved, you will be a religious person in the eyes of God because you will do the things that Christians do and you will follow the standards that God lays out in his word, not because you're trying to earn anything, but because you love him. And much like a marriage has vows, your commitment to Christ has vows. That's why in a few minutes, we're going to have some folks come down here as candidates for new membership. And I'm going to read vows. Now, I know some, when the first time I did that, kind of looked at me and thought, man, this is like a marriage. I never saw this before. But I'm that serious about church membership. We're a family. We have been bought by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Where we go, we go all. Okay? That's why we had our meeting today to talk about the future of our youth ministry program. Where we go one, we go all. We are a family. And that family walks with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm not scared to say that we're a family based on a relationship, but also a family that understands true religion. And that's my prayer. I don't, I don't ever want to do anything fake. Call me a bad pastor, a bad preacher, but at least let me be original. Let me never be fake. Somebody said to me years ago, have you ever been tempted if you're running out of time to just print off a sermon and preach it from the internet? Oh my goodness, no. I'd rather you fire me than do that. I I don't ever want to be fake. I don't want any part of the religion that I pursue to be fake religion in any way. 
I want to be true, genuine, even in all my flaws. And I think God wants that for us as well. He wants us to be men and women who pursue true religion. And what is that true religion? It's taming our tongues. It's helping the helpless. And it's protecting our purity. So what's our takeaways for today? Well, pretty simple. Okay, if you have your sheet, you can see it. But if not, A, control yourself. Be careful what you say. B, deny yourself. Focus on the need of others. And then C, protect yourself. Be in the world, but not of it. And as with everything else that James says, these words are simple, but they're not easy. But we don't need easy. We need true religion because we worship a true Savior. Let us pray. Father, we love you and we want what we're saying, thinking, and doing today to reflect the way we say, think, and do things the rest of the week, Father. Let us not be living a life of false religion. Let nothing be fake, Father. Let the way that we worship you on Sunday be the way that we treat our families, the way that we treat our spouses, the way that we treat our coworkers, the things that we say and do the rest of the week be a reflection of what we believe here on Sunday morning. Father, I just beg you that this church would be a church in this community and in your kingdom that practices what you consider true religion. Most of all, Father, we thank you for your son because through that religion we're pursuing what's real and what's right, a relationship. And that relationship is something that you are willing to send your son to die for that we may live for you. Help us to do that, Father. If there's anybody in this room that does not know Christ as Lord and Savior, And they want to know true religion and a true relationship. Father, move in their hearts right now, I beg you. Remove hearts of stone, replace it with hearts of flesh. Enable us to be a church that will love them and guide them in their walk with the Lord. Be with us now as we depart, Father, and help us to be people who love you and follow you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.